open the word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today. And let's close and bow. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 1. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come and listen to your word and ask you to guide and lead as we look at it and, and bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be in Matthew 1, starting at verse 18. We're going to look at the individual who kind of gets left out of the story of Christmas every year, Joseph. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot to, lot to think about it when we look at, look at Joseph. So we're going to read from 18 to the end of the chapter. Now, the birth of Christ was on this wise when his, when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a, a public example of her, was minded to put her away pri privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream and said, Joseph, you son of David, fear not to take unto you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is, is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth the son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she was brought forth her firstborn, and he called his name Jesus. So I'd like to think about Joseph a little bit, and you know, get rid of the the lost, the lost character of this story, because he's really, on one side, he's not important to the story at all. You know, he's not the father. He's not, you know, not there. But, you know, we look at this story, and Mary was engaged. Now, engagement in that day and time was a lot more important than it is in our day. It was a literal contract. To, get, to break your engagement, you had to get divorced. And you were, you were that strict with their engagement. And we look at this, and we find in this section that Joseph loved Mary. Now, this wasn't always true in those days because a lot of the marriages were arranged marriages, and you got married whether you wanted to or not, especially if you were the girl or the guy. Your parents got together. They decided who you were going to marry, and you got married. But in this case, it's obvious that Joseph, Joseph loved Mary. And you go, Pastor, how do you know that Joseph loved Mary? Well, the... Penalty for adultery in Israel was death. And he said that he did not want to make a public spectacle of her. He did not want her to die, which very much shows us that he cared for Mary. He was trying to make this a very quiet thing. But can you imagine his disappointment? Um, in Luke, we know that Mary went off to see Elizabeth. She's been gone for three months. By the time she comes back... It's probably a little obvious that she's pregnant and, and she's gone at least that period of time. And, and he comes back and his precious fiance is pregnant and it's not his child. And this is going to be something, you know, if he didn't love her, he would have just taken her out to the elders and said, this, this woman has been unfaithful to me, you know, execute her as the law, law goes. But he's looking at her and you can understand he loved her and he was heartbroken. To the point where he says, all right, how can I just divorce her quietly? I don't want to make a big deal out of it. And that was going to be a big deal because you get divorced. You had to go out to the front gate with all the elders and give the reason why you're getting divorced. Uh, which 
in that case was the only reason, the only valid reason for divorce, biblical reason for divorce was for adultery, which he had case, but, but if he'd gone that route, then she would have died. So he's having to figure out, how can I do this? How can I break this engagement without Mary having to die? This is quite a question and a dilemma that he is facing at this moment. The person he loved has betrayed him as far as he's concerned. And we know that that's exactly what we would have fought. Even if Mary's saying, you know, hey, you know, I have not cheated with you. This is, this is God's child. This is going to be the Messiah. You know, I'm the Isaiah prophecy. I'm the virgin who's going to give birth to a child. And, I, and uh, we know how that probably went over with him. And we know because he's ready to divorce her. We know that that's not going over well with him. And it wouldn't have gone over well with any of us. Because we, you know, can you imagine Mary having to explain to Joseph and her parents? You know, put yourself, your 14-year-old daughter engaged to Joseph, comes in and says she's pregnant and is God's child. And you're going to go, uh-huh. What other stories do you want me to believe? Uh, so this is a big deal for them. Joseph is hurt from all of this because he was looking forward to this. His bride obviously loves her because he's trying to put her away quietly. But it is going to be a hurt, and we would have been hurt, especially you think of us as men. If we, had, if we were all engaged and it's short, short ways from our marriage and all of a sudden our fiancé is pregnant and it's not ours, and we know that it's not ours, and we're going to be very disappointed on that. The other thing that we look at it is because of all of this, the angel spoke to him and tells him, do not fear to take the Mary as your wife because this child is God's child. The Holy Spirit is the one that conceived this child. Basically, Joseph, she has not been unfaithful to you. She has not cheated on you. Don't try to put her away. Don't try to get her executed. This is a spot that Satan could have won the battle in getting rid of the Messiah. The Messiah is in Mary, and, and Joseph could have said, there's no way I'm going to believe this. Execute her. And Jesus would have died before he was born. Now, this is a you know, tense point in our, in our period of time because we know, as Scripture tells us, God knows us while we're in the womb. He knits us together. Life starts before birth. This moment of conception, life starts, and that's biblical. And this is why, as Christians, if we're going to hold a biblical stance, we cannot support any part of abortion. And this is a place where Satan has an opportunity to of Jesus before he has a chance to be born. The next one we're going to see is when Herod tries to kill all the children under two years old in that area. And God warned them again and says, get out of, get out of this area and get, get into Egypt. Satan has always been trying to destroy the Messiah. All through the Old Testament we see Satan, through, and through history, Satan trying to destroy the Jewish people because God said that the Messiah would come from the line of David, or the line of Judah, and then of David. So Satan has over and over again tried to destroy the Israelites because if he could get rid of all the Israelites, he could be guaranteed that, Jesus, that the Messiah could not be born the way God said. After he's born, he tries to get rid of him on several occasions, then tries to get him to sin, and then executes him, which was God's plan. Now Satan is trying to destroy the Jews because... At the end days, everything is about the Jewish people and Israel. So if he can get rid of the Jewish people, then God has lied to us about the future. And so Satan is always trying to get rid of the, 
the Jewish people. He's done, tried through Hitler and a number of other uh, dictators have tried to wipe out Israel. We have a rise in anti-Semitism right now going on in the world because Satan is trying to get rid of Israel. If he can wipe out Israel, he can say, God, see, you, you, said, you said everything was going to center around the Jewish people in Israel, and they're not here anymore, so I win. You know, he can't win. He won't win. But his goal is to try to do all of that. The angel spoke, and then in verse 24 it says that Joseph obeyed. The angel talked to him, said, this is the Messiah. This is God incarnate. He's going to be the one. He even tells him his name is going to be Jesus. Now for us, it's kind of interesting that we use the word Jesus because Jesus is a Greek word. If you, Jesus in his own hometown would have been called Yeshua. And in English, we would translate Yeshua as Joshua. Uh, and we call him Jesus, which is the Greek word for, for his name. Uh, so this is one of these things, and I bring this up because a lot of times, you know, we have these people that will say, well, if you don't call God by his right name, or you don't call Jesus by his right name, you're not praying to the right God. Well, you know what? God knows who you're praying to, no matter which language and what name you're using. All right? This goes for, there's a group of people that says, if you're going to pray to Jesus, you must use his, his, his name of Yeshua. I don't think God cares. Uh, they'll go, well, you have to use the, the Hebrew tetragram when you're praying to God, Yahweh. You know, all right, if you want to pray to Yahweh, be my guest. He's not going not to hurt God's attention. He knows his name in Hebrew as well as he knows his name in English as God. It's not going to be a problem. You know who you're praying. God knows who you're praying to. So don't, don't get hung up on this, all of this stuff about names, because it says we are to pray in the name of Jesus. But I've taught so many times, especially on our Bible studies, the name of Jesus isn't just using the word Jesus. When it says name, name is all the authority, all the power that goes behind the, the name of something. When somebody is told, stop in the name of the law, they're not talking about that, the, the library. Here's this piece of paper. You've got to stop it. You've got to stop because here's the law. They're talking about everything that the law stands for. When somebody is an, a, an ambassador for a nation and they go overseas, they speak with the power and authority of that nation. And they are to act according to the way they're supposed to act for that nation. We as Christians are supposed to live in the name of Jesus. And think about that. We are ambassadors for Christ, we're told in, in Corinthians. Do we live like ambassadors for Christ? Do we live as if we are truly ambassadors for heaven? Or are we living as if we're ambassadors for the world and putting God's name on it? And we need to think about that in all, all that we do, because we do so much in our lifetime based upon doing things our way, doing things the world's way. Now, we're not going to be perfect, and believe me, I understand, we're not going to be perfect. But we need to be able to stand up and say, God, I want to, you to give me the strength to live the way you want me to do. And that means being obedient to the word of God. When God says something, our answer is not supposed to be, well, I th I'll think about that, God, and I'll take, or I'll take it under advisement. God's rules in the word of God are not things for us to take under advisement. He says, I want you to do these things. 
Go out and do them. And too many times, and I'm guilty of it myself, we live as if, well, God, you know, I'll try, I'll think about it, I might maybe do it. <laughs> but God is saying, this is the way you are to live. Now, we can't live God's way without his power and his strength. And the good news is because we get saved, he comes and dwells inside us, and he gives us the strength to be able to live his life out. And this is the beauty of what we have. I do not have to work and strive to be good. All I've got to do is say, God, I surrender to you and let the Holy Spirit crucify my flesh, and then he works out of me and my goodness comes from him. Because Isaiah tells us that no matter what good we do anyway, all our righteousness is filthy rags. So if I'm doing it from my own strength, God looks down and says, what are you doing? You're running around in a bunch of, bunch of stinky rags. I have for you my righteousness of Christ. And he clothes us with his righteousness and says, now live out my righteousness because I am giving you the power to do it. This is the beauty of walking with God. When we learn to surrender to God, we can live victoriously. Without that surrender, it's a struggle. And I know what it is to struggle without that surrender because I do it oftentimes. I struggle and do, to do right. I, I fight. You know, the, back in the 70s and 80s, we had the WWJD bracelets out there. What would Jesus do? The only problem is if you had to think about what Jesus would do, it's too late. You know, you need to know what he would do and have him living in you so much that he is the one living it out in you. So we want to keep that. And Joseph obeyed. He took Mary to be his wife. Now, the other thing to think about this is Mary deserved to be executed for being pregnant before they were, before they were married. Before, she, before they have their final marriage ceremony, it's become obvious that she's pregnant. The town will be talking about her for probably for the rest of their days. Joseph has a major problem here. And most of you may not really think about this. What would most men do if they found their fiancé pregnant before they got married, before they finalized their marriage? Divorce them. He does not do that. He takes her to be his wife. Now they can say all they want that this is God's child, this is a miracle child, I have not slept with her. What's the rumor going around town? Obviously, this is Joseph's kid because he took her to be, be his bride. If it was somebody other man's, he would not have taken her to be, be his bride. Do you realize the reputations have been destroyed because of the birth of Jesus? Mary is always going to be looked down on as a woman who had sex outside of marriage and got pregnant outside of marriage. And Joseph is going to have that same, well, you obviously slept with her. You took her as, you took her as your wife. Because no man would have taken this without, without this be, you know, without being true. Why do I bring this up? How many times will God seemingly destroy our reputation when we become a Christian? Especially with the world. If you get saved and you're used to being out there partying with the world and all of a sudden you tell them, I can't party with you. You know, you're going to hear, well, what are you, a goody two-shoes? You think you're better than I am? You... You know, you think, you, you know, and all the things that we know that get said. And when we as Christians take stands for God, people look at us and say, 
well, why, why are you so much better than, you know, why do you think you're better than we are? Why, you know, and all these accusations that get put up against us. When we walk with God, people are going to look down on us because of our place. Now, the question is, who are we wanting praise from in the first place? If I'm looking for praise from God, then I'm looking forward to the, the, the criticism from the, from the world. Jesus told the disciples, they hated me, they will hate you. And another place he said, woe to you if all men speak highly of you. Because the only way the world's going to speak highly of us is if we're doing what they do and they don't feel convicted when we're in their presence. But do you realize that when we are saved, we have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us? And I hope many of you have experienced this, but you walk into a place and people feel convicted and you haven't even said a word. Because God came in with you. You're not looking at them reprovingly. You're not, you're not saying, that, you know, saying a word to them. But God stepped into a room and a light came on in there and that they don't recognize. But it's just like turning a room on, a light on in a room that has rats and roaches. They scatter. The world scatters when the light of God comes into the room. Now if you add talking about God on top of that presence... Oh, the world hates you. You can, you can get people to really not like you. But you know, that is our job. Bring light into the situation. We are to bring light in by our presence with God and then use words. Not accusing, not condemning, but just let them know this is what God says. And let God's light shine on the situation. So... Joseph was very obedient to God. And then there's one other thing I want to bring out at the end of this about Joseph. Verse 25. And he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, and they, named, and they called his name Jesus. Even though at this point that they had considered married and, and finished, he'd never slept with her until after Jesus was born. Very clear on this that that they slept together. She wasn't a perpetual virgin for, for her entire life. She was a virgin, gave birth to Jesus, and then Mary and Joseph had a normal husband and wife relationship. And we know that he, there were four boys and several girls because it says daughters, uh, 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 sisters were there to, to, to find him. So we know that they had several children. So we know that this happened, and it says that he was disciplined enough to say, I'm not sleeping with her until after this special child is born because it is going to be a virgin birth and we're not going to do anything to make anybody think that this was nothing but what God said it was. And we, and we think about this. What a special man Joseph was. He had to have been a very godly man. He obeyed the angel. He had discipline in his life. And he was chosen... God to be the father of Jesus and be able to lay the foundation for, for him. And it is so important that that is always remembered. And I just want to, I always like to remind us that Joseph, because Joseph kind of gets left out. There's, there's very few songs. I don't, I don't even know if I can think of a single Christmas song that mentions Joseph in the, as, as a key figure in it. It's always about Mary. It's always about the baby. It's about Bethlehem. It's about the virgin birth. And it should be. But let's not forget Joseph because Joseph was a godly man and, the, and everything could have ended right there if he hadn't obeyed the angel 
everything could have been over. He could have said, well, Mary, you've, you've cheated on me. I'm taking you right out to the, to the elders, and you're going to be executed. He could have done that. Then it would have had to have been a miracle from God to say, save him. Now, it is a miracle. The angel went to see him. But, I mean, you know, if he had reacted the way that you would have expected, you know, it would have taken a really big miracle to have him protected. So as we get into this whole Christmas season, let's always remember this is a big deal, the birth of Jesus. God incarnate came to this world to live a perfect life for us so that he could be sacrificed on the cross for our sins and take all the anger of God towards sin upon himself. That is an important thing to understand. Jesus took all. Peter tells us he was our propitiation, and that's just a really big word, and it means he took all the anger of God towards sin. Sin was paid for on the cross. There's only one sin left that's going to be something that causes problem, and that is the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's the unforgivable sin. If you stand before God having rejected Jesus Christ, you go to hell. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your as your as a sacrifice. You go to heaven. One very simple decision when you stand before God. What did you do with Jesus? And we need to keep it as simple as that when we present the gospel. It is what are you going to do with Jesus? We are sinners deserving hell, and Jesus paid the debt. And all we do is take that gift and accept it, and be be obedient to God in all of that. So we just want to challenge people. As we're in the Christmas time, this is a wonderful time to be able to tell people about the gospel. Because number one, they're hearing songs about the gospel, sometimes. <laughs> uh, but they're also very receptive because ultimately here in America, people realize that Christmas is supposedly about the birth of Jesus. We don't make a big deal about it like we should, but at least people are willing to hear about Jesus at this time of the year like they aren't in many times of the year. Take an opportunity. In your family celebrations, take time to read the stories about the birth of Jesus. Bring Jesus back into Christmas because he's being pushed out. You know, pushed out and it's becoming nothing but a big party for most people. And now we're not even wanting to call it Christmas, we're calling them holidays. So we need to bring Jesus back into Christmas. If we're going to celebrate it, let's celebrate what it's supposed to be, the celebration of Jesus and his birth. Because his birth led to his death, burial, and resurrection. And without his birth, we couldn't have had that. And this is why for the first 400 years of the church, the church really didn't celebrate his birth. They celebrated his resurrection more than anything else, but it was his birth, his death, burial, and resurrection. And they, he needed his birth just to get to the, to the death, burial, and resurrection. He had to be born so that he could get there. So we want to keep the, these things in mind as we go forward. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you. We ask you to help us to reach others and always reach out with the gospel. And Lord, if there's anybody listening online that doesn't know you, the day that they would say, God, I am a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sin. Come in and take my life and save me. And they will notify some Christian or us that they did that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? 
We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.